Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. So, Todd, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that a big part of my job as a therapist um, is to help people stop thinking. Mm. Now, we'll get into what uh, I mean by that exactly, but I want to ask you right off the bat, would you agree with that statement that a big part of your job is to help people stop thinking? Think carefully. Uh, no, I, or wouldn't. Don't. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I see where you're going. <laughs> where am I going, Todd? I would say this, and maybe that'll kind of, I, I, I would say a big part of my job as a therapist is to help people identify dysfunctional patterns of thought. I'm not, I think if I could get people to stop thinking, that would be awesome. <laughs> I'm not sure I can get myself to stop thinking sometimes. <laughs> um, but, I, but I know what you're saying. I think, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, so um, we all think a lot. We are, more, most of us are sort of brought up to be thinkers, right? We spend a huge amount of our time and energy in school learning how to think in a particular way anyway, kind of hard and carefully. And, um, and I sort of think about it, that as like, that's a kind of mental gear, like thinking hard about something, you know, um, analyzing it, um, kind of comparing it to other ideas and concepts and focusing, focusing on it, questioning it, um, imagining how it might be different in a different circumstance. It's all kind of thinking hard kind of thinking. Um, which is awesome. That's, you know, that's how diseases get cured and how bridges get built and, and even how, um, therapeutic progress happens in a lot of ways. Um, so while I think that 90, 98% of the time thinking hard about things is really useful and beneficial, there are certain situations which you tend to run into in therapy a lot where thinking hard can really backfire on you. I would agree. I, I think, um, Thinking is a is an amazing tool, um, and and sometimes I'll tell my clients thinking is an amazing tool to use on outside external problems. Thinking tends to not work so well when you're thinking about thoughts or when you're thinking about feelings. That a lot of the problem solving skills we use. Um, to handle issues in the outside world don't really extend inward very well. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sometimes I think um, a lot of people come into therapy wanting to learn how to do subtraction on their emotional lives. What do you mean by that? They're feeling really sad or really anxious or really frustrated and they want a, uh, a coping skill that lets them subtract frustration from their experience and just not have it be there anymore. I think you're exactly right. So many, so many clients are kind of coming in looking for, um, the way to eliminate an unpleasant thought, emotion, behavior pattern from their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, um, I just, 
had the thought, <laughs> we should be clear up front what we mean when we say thinking. Or I'll try and be clear what I mean when I say thinking. That would probably be good because we'll throw out 12 <laughs> terms for the same thing. So obviously, if, you're, uh, you know, if you have a brain and it's functioning, you, you, on a really broad level, you could think of thinking as just another word for consciousness. If you're, if you're conscious mm-hmm. or if your brain is even functioning, in some way you're, you're thinking. That's right. the real broad definition of thinking. Okay. Um, but what about you know, kind of daydreaming? Or if you're just sort of, you know, noticing, looking at a sunset, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of, the, you're, you're aware, you know, and maybe you're kind of very casually sort of noticing or saying, oh, that's, that's a nice hue of orange, you know, in the sunset. <laughs> but that's very different than here's a calculus problem that I'm r- trying really hard to solve. To solve it, yeah. Right? Or here's, you know, this horrible thing my spouse just said to me and I'm, you know, thinking of all the you know, all the examples of how this just fits in with all those things she's done is just a terrible person, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, regurgitating all these memories and imagining how it's going to be terrible in the future. And right. um, so there's this kind of hard thinking. I think of it like problem solving in particular. Um, and so that's what I kind of in a tongue in cheek way when I talk about helping people not think. What, what I mean by that is helping people shift out of problem solving thinking and into a different kind of mental state. So let's put this in a context then. Great. Um, you enjoy working with anxiety a lot. Mm-hmm. How does this, what does this kind of, give me an example of what this might look like with anxiety. Sure. So I do, I do anxiety and insomnia a lot and there's, there's a lot of overlap. So people with insomnia, the vast majority of people with insomnia, maybe all people with insomnia have a lot of anxiety about not sleeping. So they'll get in bed and they'll lay there and, you know, they'll look over at the clock and they'll see it's been 30 minutes. And I read this article online that said the normal amount of time it takes people to fall asleep is 30 minutes. And now I'm over 30 minutes. What happens if I don't sleep? I read this other article that said, if you don't sleep eight hours a day, you're going to get Alzheimer's. What if I get Alzheimer's? Who's going to pay my medical bills? Like, what are my, you know, what's my husband going to think if I can't function anymore? And off to the races we go. And so now you're thinking hard about a lot of stuff, which when it comes to sleep is really problematic because the only way you end up falling asleep is when you're relaxed. You don't think yourself to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, you can't. (laughs) You can think yourself out of sleep, but you can't think yourself into sleep. So a lot of people will say when they have sleep problems, I wish I could just turn my thoughts off. I see. Mm -hmm. So there's the problem to subtract when they come to you. Help me stop thinking. Right. And, And what they, ironically, what they're looking for is some kind of tip or formula, some way of thinking to help them not think. Right. Um, which, you know, gets a little paradoxical and loopy. Well, and you, but you see this a lot, right? Even with people who have um, repetitive thoughts that they don't want to have necessarily. Um, there's a huge effort to kind of almost say, I shouldn't think of this thing, right? Stop thinking this. Stop thinking this. Stop thinking about it. If I think of it, I'm a bad person. Um, and all of those thoughts tend to be pretty disruptive and pretty dysregulating emotionally. And so pretty counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's maybe a way to sum this up is that oftentimes um, this kind of hard thinking, this problem solving kind of judgmental type of thinking um, can be really counterproductive 
in, in a few certain areas of our life, like you said, especially in often in terms of our emotional life, it works really well for math problems and engineering and, uh, figuring out the fastest route to dinner. Um, but it's, it can be really problematic though understandable when we try and apply that to our inner lives. One well, and the way sometimes that thoughts and emotions, um, are related. I think you can have thoughts, you know, to try to get rid of feelings. How do I get, how do I stop feeling this way? Um, and that, that's another kind of clever trap. So you and I have kind of talked about similar topics before. Um, I enjoy treating depression, um, a lot. And, um, one pattern of dysregulated or dysfunctional thought, I guess that I see a lot is, um, what we call rumination, which is kind of this, looking in the past, picking out all the ways maybe somebody's made mistakes or how awful they were or how terrible the events of their life have been or whatever, this kind of backward looking ruminative thought process that, um, people with depression often engage in kind of all the time, right? This kind of narrative that plays in their head about how terrible their, um, how, how terrible their high school experience was and, and the awful things that maybe had happened to them. But there's this like quality where they're just constantly thinking of the same series of bad events from their past and how unfortunate those things were and how bad those events messed them up. Yeah. So let's say you've got a client with depression who's working on that and, and you've been working for a while and they understand that this ruminating, that going over all these terrible things that have happened is, is, uh, at, le- at the very least, it's not helping anything and it's probably making things worse. It's probably, they tend to feel worse after they engage in a lot of this. Um, you, you know, for, for a lot of my clients with depression, they don't pick up on that. They're, they're almost unaware. Not initially. Right. Right. But okay. I would think it, it, at some point people realize, okay, this probably isn't, I, I realize now how much I'm doing this and that it's, I don't know if this is super helpful. Sure. Um, but even at that point, even if you're aware of it, it can be really hard to stop. So what do you make of that? Like how, so a lot of people at some point realize, okay, I want to stop ruminating. I want to stop thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you, let's say this, this client with depression who knows they ruminate a lot and that it's not really helpful and maybe even making things worse. How do you, how do you get started helping someone not think? Mm. Well, that, that thinking process, um, that ruminative behavior tends to be part of a context, right? Where things maybe um, cue the client to start that process, to finish the process. Like what? What would be an example um, of a cue for rumination? Oh, geez, it could be any kind of um, struggle that they encounter. You know, I mean, uh, they go outside and their tire's flat and they're going to be late for work. And then they say, oh, man, this it figures this is my luck. And they start recounting all the terrible things that have happened in their life. Um, and so it could be just challenges in their daily life that might kind of trigger that kind of thought process, right? Yeah. So it can almost be like a habit. Right. And so a lot of what I do, I think, in, in working with depression is kind of, can you identify when you're doing that? Can you start to identify, whoa, I'm ruminating now, right? This is an unhelpful thought pattern. And then try to teach them to develop a more functional thought pattern. Because, I mean, um, I go outside, I find my tires flat, I start recounting all the negative things that have happened to me in my life. 
all of a sudden I feel really overwhelmed and frustrated and angry. And I just say, screw it. I'm calling in sick. And I go back inside and I call my office and just tell them I'm not coming in. Um, I don't feel good. Um, and there's a, there's a pattern of behavior, even the rumination I would call a behavioral pattern. Um, like an internal behavior, an internal behavior that is unobservable, but we'll, we'll say it happens. Um, Yes, that, that I would help the client identify this series of events, this context is, is um, we need to take note of it and we need to watch for these things inside that. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, but if this, if this habit of thinking of ruminating is so unhelpful and leads to so much emotional distress, like why, why do we start doing it in the first place? Hmm. Yes, because uh, I would say there's a function to it you know, in some way, otherwise you wouldn't do it. it. It's a function meaning people get something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what do you get out of recounting all the hundreds of terrible things you've done in the way you're such an idiot? Like what, it, what, what could someone possibly get out of that? And I want to be, I want to be very delicate with this because I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience at all. And I don't, um, but let's say, um, it, it could help me feel less responsible for some of the events in my life. Right. Um, it, it, by, by kind of just saying, screw it with my flat tire, it's almost, I, well, well, I guess, you know, an immediate, um, there's some immediate relief. I don't, I'm not going to deal with this right now. Right. And so there's an immediate kind of relief because I'm not going to have to deal with this flat tire and I'm not going to worry about it impacting my day and my work. I'm just so, not going to deal so with it. So your thoughts about your, this pattern of tending to think that like bad stuff just happens to me it sort of lets you avoid some of that um, immediate responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it fits in maybe a narrative of my life that I'm um, not at fault or I don't, I don't bear any responsibility for some of the things that happen. They just kind of happen to me. Um, now that said, I, I definitely, if anybody's listening to struggle with depression, I'm not saying that bad things haven't happened to you or that. Right. Yeah. But well, it, it could be precisely because really bad things happened happen, to you yeah. at a stage where you weren't equipped to deal with them effectively. Yeah. Well, you and sort I, of learn that that's just the way life is. And a, and a lot of these, um, behaviors were kind of taught one way or another, you know, we learn them somehow. It's not like we create them all our own, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes there's an example somewhere that we've picked up on or, um, but yeah, so, so rumination inside depression, um, tends to be a, a behavior that, um, you can definitely teach clients that there are, there are more functional ways of engaging your thoughts at that point, um, to find more functional behaviors, right? I mean, instead of, um, ruminating about all the things that have gone wrong, fix your tire figure out how we're going to address this or how we're going to get to work or, you know, can we problem solve in a way that is actually effective where rumination won't be right. Yeah. So you can imagine someone who grew up in an environment where every time they offered up an idea, it got shot down by someone important in their life that would train you pretty quickly to not come up with alternative solutions or possibilities. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, or, if, um, and maybe some of the efforts that they've actually engaged in and tried didn't work real well. Hmm. Um, and you can learn like, well, why try? Because it's futile almost. 
when I try it doesn't work. Um, but, but you definitely see this kind of really dysfunctional thought pattern that, that will never lead to a positive conclusion. I think that's a really important thing. When I talk to clients about helping them identify rumination, um, one of the tenants is if you've thought about something for two or three minutes and you haven't identified any kind of solution and you feel worse, it's probably a pretty good indication that you're ruminating. It's probably a good sign to kind of take a step back and look at what, what you're, what's going on. Um, so, so it's, it sounds like two possible explanations for why do people do something like ruminate? Why do they think even though it only leads to unhelpful things? So one possibility is it's just learned. It's just kind of a habit and they don't necessarily have great ideas for what else to do or other alternatives have been, um, have been discouraged because of prior learning. Another possibility is that it's, um, it's sort of temporarily, it relieves them of, you know, sort of responsibility maybe for, for doing something difficult, like having to figure out how to fix the flat tire or the embarrassment of having to call someone right. to come help them. Um, so I, an, I think another reason sometimes that we get, uh, we find ourselves thinking unproductively, uh, you know, un, without a, a function with, without a particularly good function thinking that doesn't lead to anything helpful, um, is that, we really don't like being in situations that make us feel helpless. Mm, so if, if you get into a situation like, um, like having a flat tire, say, and let's say you, you never learned how to fix a flat tire and you let your triple a, you know, insurance expire and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you just, you feel really helpless. A lot of times thinking very temporarily can make us feel like, well, at least I have a little bit of control. Like at least I can do something. I can't actually do anything about my tire, but I can, I can think I can do this mental activity. And even if very briefly, it, it, it lets us feel like we have some control over a situation that feels uncontrollable. And we're doing something. Yeah. 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 And, and I think there are all sorts of other tendrils that get pulled in there too. You know, we're, we're thinking about something, we're, we're doing something, we're being somewhat effective. Um, but oftentimes, you know, that ruminative, it, it, that rumination is easy. You know, I go out to the, um, driveway, my tires flat. Um, I realize I don't have any money to pay for a new tire. I don't have any money because I, you know, lost my job three months ago and haven't really financially recovered from that. I lost my job because my coworker, um, you know, upset me and I, I got upset or whatever, you know, I mean, there's a series of really easily connected kind of events that have maybe negative events that have, um, resulted in my current situation. And so it's, it, it can be an effortless kind of like, here we go. You know, the flat tire also brings up all sorts of other losses, all sorts of other struggles Mm -hmm. and they're easily connected. Yeah. 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 And, and it is that kind of, if, uh, and it's a control issue as well, where it's like, if I could have just not lost my job back here, this wouldn't have happened. You know, it does introduce this idea of control. There was a moment I could have had control. Um, if these things wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't be here. So it does feel almost, um, productive in a way, in an odd way. Yeah. So another, we've been talking about rumination, which is kind of this, um, fancy term. Yeah. Fancy term to describe, but to describe something very tangible, which is 
kind of thinking hard but unproductively about things in the past. Right. Right. Um, and there's no, there's no technical um, definition for rumination, but I think that's a lot of people think of it. A lot of therapists think about it like that. That way. Um, but an, another version of kind of unhelpful thinking hard is worry, which is sort of in a, in some ways it's the opposite of rumination. It's it's thinking hard and unproductively about something in the future, often a, a kind of a hypothetical in the future. Mm. One one of my clients introduced the term what ifing. What if so I start what ifing about stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah, but you see a lot in anxiety, kind of related disorders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it a lot of times it goes back to that um, control. You know, imagining all sorts of future outcomes can feel like you're doing you're doing good work, like you're problem solving. You're imagining all the worst case scenarios and. Um, all the terrible things that could happen to kind of prepare yourself. It's almost like bracing yourself yeah. for the shock. And I think we, we're all kind of taught that effortful thinking is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so both in rumination or worry, it sounds like what you're saying is there's a feeling that I'm doing something or I'm trying. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's, I think that's the really tricky part about rumination and worry is that most of the time, I would argue, thinking hard and thinking critically and problem solving is a really good idea and it gets reinforced. Right. So it makes it that much harder in these situations that look and feel like real problems to not do it mm. because we're so used to doing it. But Nick, <laughs> let's say I'm applying for a job. And I start to think, what if I don't get this job? If I don't get this job, what if all my savings is depleted and I lose everything? And if that happens, then the chances of me being homeless are pretty high and the rest of my life is going to be screwed. I mean, isn't that kind of identifying probable outcomes and isn't that useful? Well, it's identifying outcomes. I, I think at some point in that chain, we went from um, likely to possible to pretty improbable. Okay. Um, so that that's the first thing is you, you, you do want to look at the, it, it's easy to get swept up in worry or rumination from, you know, likely or plausible types of thoughts. Like I would be out of a job and it would be financially tight. That's definitely possible, probably probable. Um, but does that mean you're going to be homeless? But it's scary to be homeless. It's very scary to be homeless. Um, so I would say that the first step is to realize, are, are you thinking this way deliberately and intentionally on purpose? Or is it something you just kind of find yourself doing? I think a lot of the time we get, you know, 55 cycles into worry. And only then do we realize, oh my God, okay, wait a second. Maybe this isn't really, I've been going over and over and over and all these terrible things that could happen. Um, and only now am I realizing, wait a second, maybe this isn't helpful. So if you can be more deliberate and say, okay, if I lose my job, there could be some consequences and I should, I should think about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So sit down, get a piece of paper out and deliberately think through, write them down. What are the possibilities here? How likely are each? What are some, if those happened, what could I do in response to that? So I think a big distinguishing um, line is 
these, this thinking, are you doing it really intentionally and deliberately or are you just sort of letting yourself, letting it happen? Uh, is there a flow of just never ending horrible possible outcomes or are you actually looking at real solutions to probable events? Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and again, this, this difference between, is it, is it really, am I thinking on purpose or am I, or do I just find myself thinking? And that's not a totally clear distinction, but I think we all can kind of basically feel the difference between those two. Because if you're thinking on purpose, that's the true problem-solving moment? No, I just think you're, you're more likely to end up thinking helpfully oh, rather okay. than unhelpfully. So, so as opposed to just kind of finding yourself in a worry pattern, um, if, you're, if you're deliberately trying to look at an issue and, and resolve it, yeah, the other thing that happens in, in both worry and rumination is um, when they're internal, when we're just worrying in our head, it tends to go really fast. Like I think it's something we don't really appreciate that our thoughts go really fast mm-hmm. when they're in our head. Yeah. And it, it's one of the really simple explanations for why therapy is helpful, I think, is that by talking something out, something concerning, you force yourself to slow down. And then good things happen when you, when you slow down with distressing things, I think. Um, it allows you to get perspective on things. Um, and if it really is an uh, unhelpful thought pattern that's leading to emotional distress, if you can slow it down and only have a couple cycles of worry instead of 40 of them, right. you're going to have a lot less negative emotion that comes out of it. You'll feel a lot better. Yeah. And, and I think that's um, maybe one relationship we, we want to highlight is that um, the way you think tends to impact the way you feel a lot. Or basically, those things are highly, highly correlated. So if you're thinking these catastrophic terrifying thoughts you're gonna feel anxious you're gonna feel yeah um one thing that i noticed i I think you're right to get back to your comment about slowing these things down um with my clients who are really depressed one thing that we do is kind of really track worries uh um, depressive thoughts right so when their mood changes at all um i kind of give them instruction to kind of really write down what their thoughts are in that moment right and one comment I get a lot when that homework comes back, when we're talking about, you know, this form the clients filled out is I had no idea how often I thought this. I had no idea how often this thought came up or um, when they wrote it down, they kind of took a step back and said, do I really believe that? You know, I mean, they would, for example, a, a client might kind of write down, I'm an idiot and I don't deserve to be happy. And then they might even, as they're writing that, go, I, really? I, do I think I'm an idiot and that I don't deserve to be happy? Almost uh, it, slowing the, the process of basically writing it down is, is a way of slowing it down and uh, giving them a chance to really look at what their thoughts are. Um, and there's sometimes there's this really nice disconnection from their thoughts where they're like, whoa, I don't really believe that. Um, or they're even able to say, no wonder I feel depressed. You know, if I look at my thoughts and how um, really skewed they are, there's no wonder I feel this way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a really practical way to stop thinking unhelpfully. If you find that, if you suspect that you do a lot of unhelpful thinking, start writing your thoughts down. Right. 
I would agree. It slows them down. Um, and it, it gives you tremendous perspective on your thoughts. And there's all sorts of different forms of doing this from kind of journaling, keeping a diary, you know, you can do for what we call thought records, which is what you were describing. Right. Have people notice, oh, my mood changed. What sorts of thoughts did I have about that? Um, but the point is to kind of get them out of your head and, and into reality. In a way, it changes a thought into a behavior, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which can be a really helpful way of at least slowing down those um, unhelpful ways of thinking. And with both uh, depression and anxiety, uh, the quality of thoughts tends to be very kind of catastrophic. And, and, and I think some people do get a lot of relief just from realizing like, wow, I take my thought to an extreme point, um, either that's highly unlikely or really not functional at all. Like it, my, my thoughts are so catastrophic, there's just no utility to them at all anymore. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a, an important distinction that we don't think a lot about is that a, a thought may be statistically possible, right? It's possible that I could walk out of here and get struck by lightning. Um, but is, is that a useful thought? We don't often think about that, like how useful or helpful are our thoughts, regardless right. of whether they're true or not. I draw, I draw a lot of bell curves in, in therapy <laughs> sessions and say, you know, here are the most probable thoughts, you know, the middle part of that bell curve. Um, you spend an awful lot of time on the most catastrophic, you know, um, highly unlikely outcomes over here. Um, and that seems like a maybe dysfunctional use of your time because in all likelihood, an outcome is probably going to be here in the center somewhere. Um, and so that's, that's a really good thing to, I think to point out to this client sometimes is, um, you know, this catastrophizing um, um, is highly unlikely and probably not useful to spend a lot of your time in there. 